What is going on my friends? Welcome to another episode of the He Thirsts podcast. Together you and I, by the grace of God and through the intercession of our blessed mother, we will persevere in living a life of heroic virtue and become saints. I want to begin by thanking everyone who participated in the Marian series which we concluded last week. I'd like to encourage you all to continue reciting the rosary every day, especially with your families. I was this evening made aware of alleged kidnappings of 17 teenage girls in Nairobi, which turned out to be a case of girls seeking to remedy their boredom from the lockdown fatigue. What is most unfortunate, however, is that for the duration of the time they were away, it was believed that they were engaged in a variety of vices for which they showed no remorse. As a matter of fact, they were all eager for what they called a necessary fuss to die down so that they may return to whatever it was they were doing. My friends, we are living in precarious times, and never has the need to pray the rosary become more apparent. Our families are under attack, and so we need to commit them to the maternal care of the Blessed Virgin Mary, whose immaculate heel has crushed the head of hell serpent. Today we celebrate the solemnity of Christ the King, King of the universe. Absolute monarchies are not as ubiquitous as they once were, especially in the Middle Ages, when rulers of kingdoms were warrior kings who went into battle to capture new territories and depose existing kings. I recently watched a documentary on BBC on the War of the Roses that concluded with the establishment of the Tudor dynasty in England. At one point during those conflicts, the legitimate heirs to the throne, two young boys, were locked up by their uncle in a tower, who proceeded to declare himself king. The boys were never seen or heard of again. This is the kind of kingship many of us imagine, authoritative, oppressive, and violent. We also imagine opulence, limitless wealth, and tasteful dressing. I am reminded of the great ruler of the Mali Empire, Mansa Musa, who was the richest person in history. There has never been anyone who has come close to just how rich he was. He was so fabulously wealthy that it was incomprehensible to quantify the expanse of his fortune. And so while on a pilgrimage to Mecca, he took with him a caravan that stretched as far as the eye could see. The caravan allegedly was 60,000 strong and was said to include a thousand attendants, a hundred camels, loaded with gold, plenty of the emperor's own personal musicians, and five hundred slaves bearing gold staffs. 
On his stop in Cairo, he spent so much gold on the poor that he caused massive inflation. After his pilgrimage, the news of his wealth spread across the Mediterranean. This is a kind of king we are so inclined to imagine. But the book of the prophet Isaiah provides a contrary picture to the kind of king our Lord is. He had no form or comeliness that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed when he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that's before its shares is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Our Lord is a kind of king who comes to us, becomes one of us, and deigns to take on the sinfulness of our flesh. Deigns. This word, deigns, which means to do something considered beneath one's dignity. Becoming man, becoming one of us, is so incomprehensibly below the dignity of his divine nature. The psalmist captures this most aptly when he says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that God should even bother to seek us? St. Louis de Mortfort writes, I avow with the church that Mary, being but a mere creature, that has come from the hands of the Most High, is in comparison with his infinite majesty less than an atom, or rather she is nothing at all. Let's take a moment to let this sink in. Our Lady, sinless, immaculate, exalted far above the angels and saints, is nothing compared to our Lord. What about us, who are filled by such pride, that we tend to look down upon people we perceive to be below our dignity. Those our Lord refers to 
as least in his kingdom? Why did he abase himself to such an extent? My friends, for love, for love of us, to reconcile us to himself when we had lost his friendship. He is a king that seeks out his people, who takes people upon his shoulders like sheep that have gone astray. But God has absolutely no need of us. As St. Augustine writes, Surely you have no need of any place to contain you, since you contain all things, and fill them indeed precisely by containing them. The vessels thus filled with you do not render you any support, for though they perish utterly, you would not be spilt out. Our Lord loves us because he loves us, and so regardless of the choices we make in this life, those that keep us in his friendship and those that cause us to turn away from him, he remains changeless, lacking nothing but rejoicing in gains. And this gains that he rejoices in is a gaining of our souls for himself. By taking on our flesh, he is really not coming down to us, but elevating us to himself, gathering all of us as one people to himself. Every kingdom has commonalities shared by those who belong to it. Shared ancestry, common language, a constitution, common responsibilities. As a people of God, we have a shared ancestry through baptism of the water and spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. We have the responsibility to be the salt and light of the world, and we are governed by Christ's new commandment of love. We are also a priestly, prophetic, and royal people. St. Paul urges in his letter to the Romans, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Sometimes we may yield to the temptation that we have nothing to offer our Lord, because we have no grand projects going on in our lives, or life-changing philanthropic endeavors. But the reality is that only a trifling number of people are afforded the opportunity to undertake such projects. What then must we do? Well, the first thing we ought to do is not to despair. The next thing we should do is examine our lives, mundane as they may be, which are bereft of the flair we desire, and acknowledge that everything we do can be offered up to our Lord. We can do this in the smallest, most ordinary of ways, out of love for God. Brother Lawrence, in his book, 
the practice of the presence of God's rights. I turn my little omelette in the pan for love of God. When it is finished, if I have nothing to do, I prostrate myself on the ground and worship my God who gave me the grace to make it. After which I arise much happier than a king. When I can do nothing else, it is enough to have picked up a straw for the love of God. If by baptism we have been made children of God, St. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that we are fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering with Christ is a privilege because it is our call to embrace redemptive suffering through which we participate in Christ's glory as children of God. What a generous king we have, one who longs not just to admit us into his kingdom, but to make us co-heirs. This is the hope that we have, a hope that enables us to endure our present sufferings with forbearance. This past week, we have been reading from the book of Revelation. John sees a lamb, as though it had been slain, and it was only he worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. The humble lamb, visibly bruised and battered, accomplished what no one in heaven on earth and under the earth could accomplish, the fulfillment of God's promise to reconcile us to himself and establish a new covenant. It is through suffering and the blood of the Lamb that we have been made a kingdom and priests to God. Let us never tire of making our lives an endless sacrifice for love of God. We share in Christ's prophetic office when we become his witnesses in the midst of the world, and in his royal office when we serve. Our Lord came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom to many, as a demonstration of his infinite mercy. And this is the invitation we have received in the gospel of today's solemnity, to begin the kingdom of God here on earth by performing corporal and spiritual works of mercy, feeding the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick and prisoners. In so doing, we'll be making use of the gifts our Lord has bestowed upon us, gifts for which we shall surely provide an account at the end of our lives. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy. Hail our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To you do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To you do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping, in this veil of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, your eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile. Show us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
or clement or loving or sweet virgin mary in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen